Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On today's show, we will wrap up the regular season and get you ready for the AAC tournament down in Fort Worth. We'll also take a look at where the Shockers stand on the NCAA tournament bubble. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. The Shockers finish the regular season with a 1-1 record. They lose at Memphis 68-60, but take care of Tulsa on senior day for Jamie Echenique. Taylor starting with that Memphis game. A little bit of a missed opportunity, but certainly not something that has maybe uh, impacted the resume so much thus far. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. You know, a loss doesn't devastate them, but like you said, it's a missed opportunity. That was the last chance at a Quadrant 1 win in the regular season and, you know, a win there. And, you know, they could have been off the bubble. They would probably be safely in on a lot of brackets right now if they had won that game. Um, but, you know, all's well that ends well. They get the they end up beating Tulsa the last game, uh, wrapping up that four seed, get the first round bye in the conference tournament, and that's a, that's a huge deal if you're going to make a championship run. So, um, yeah, missed opportunity, and, you know, that's kind of been the case for the last two months. You know, you look at some of these marquee games that WSU had a chance to win, um, and they come up short, but, you know, maybe there's still one last chance here at the conference tournament. You can also look at Sunday's win as possibly a marquee win. Certainly went out and beat Tulsa by 22-79-57. to And what we saw in this game was the return of a balanced approach from the Shockers. We saw Stevenson do well. We saw Achenike do well. We saw Burton do well. You know, it, it, was, it was everyone contributing on both sides of the floor. Yeah, absolutely. That was a game where you could just tell everyone was locked in. From the jump, I think a lot of people were, um, you know, motivated for Jaime, but also motivated to get that first round by and motivated, you know, to, to keep their NCAA tournament lives, um, you know, afloat. And uh, there's a lot of motivation for Wichita State, but there's also a lot of mo- motivation for Tulsa. You know, they were playing for an outright championship on, a, you know, their rivals home court. They could have cut down the nets at Coke Arena on WSU senior day. So that would have been a doomsday uh, scenario for WSU. So, um, yeah, the Shockers, they respond with probably one of their best games of the season. You know, Tulsa, that's, you know, that's a conference champion. You just beat by 22 points. Uh, very, very thorough, completely different game than the one that we saw down in Tulsa. I thought WSU's offense was much, much better. Uh, Greg Marshall talked about um, a slight tweak that he made um, from the first game was where WSU set the ball screens against that, that kind of shape-shifting sh- uh, zone that Tulsa plays. And, you know, that first game, uh, you know, WSU's bigs, they're instructed, you know, have your foot on the three-point line um, and set the screen there. And that lets, you know, the guards uh, to maybe dribble up and, and if they want to take that shot. But, you know, with Tulsa, they were going under every ball screen for Jamarius Burton, Grant Sherfield, I think even Etienne. Uh, so they're basically going under every sc- uh, screen to, to eliminate those driving angles. So um, what Marshall did was that he told Echenique, Udeze, Trey Wade, when you set those screens, set them inside the three-point line and force uh, Tulsa, if they're going to go under, force them to go under at the free-throw line where you know that opened things up for Jamarius Burton who Marshall gave a huge shout-out to for following the scouting report to a T. Jamarius Burton, 3-for-3 three three on threes. Um, I think you saw the three-point line open up, and obviously they had wide-open looks that they missed at Tulsa that first time, but this time they gave themselves uh, those same good looks, and uh, this time they were able to convert um, 11 threes, so that was the big difference. 
Shockers only scored 51 points in the loss at Tulsa. They score 79 on senior day to wrap up the regular season. And something we've talked about on this show all season is someone behind Echenique to step up at the center position. We saw Mo Udeze kind of really come back out of nowhere, and uh, Asborn Mitgard has really had some good minutes of late. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't even know how uh, uh, Marshall is, is determining who comes off the bench first uh, behind uh, Jaime. It seems to be like a random one of the three, someone different every single game. I think Asbjorn hadn't played in three straight games, and he's the first one off the bench. And then Mo Udeze hadn't played very much, and uh, we saw some good uh, a good stretch from him. He had that, that stretch where he scored back-to-back baskets to, to put them up, I think, 22 or 23 in the second half. But, yeah, it just seems like, you know, <laughs> Uh, I guess it's whoever's practicing the best, and right now there's just not much separation between um, Mitgard, Udeze, and, and Poor Bear Chandler. I think all three of them have shown, you know, flashes of of competence and flashes of of being uh, that backup. But more times than not, you know, Marshall is just not being able to find the answer for who's going to be that that backup. Who 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 can I rely on? Who can I count on? Uh, I mean, does it feel that way to you that there's just no no answer? going into the the conference tournament of who you know Echenique's backup is right now well I just think it's so amazing how much different the team looks particularly on the offensive end when they just get a little bit of production from one of those guys they they don't necessarily go after have to go out and score double digits but just you know providing solid minutes getting rebounds on the defensive end Mitgard you know really being a big guy there in the middle but I think as they go to Fort Worth you got to go on matchups I, you know I think all three of those guys maybe have some different strengths but also some some weaknesses depending on you know if, if it's an athletic big man or, or you know the size out there as well so I, I would go more on matchups depending on who they're playing yeah and you know Asbjorn had some good moments three big rebounds a block shot so that's all the WSU needs from him I don't know if they're you know counting on much offensive pr- production from him outside of you know their offensive rebound putback but you know Mo has shown some some good moves down down there in the post and he had two good moves there back to back to score and then you know poor bear Chandler has provided some energy plays off the bench as well but you know that's the big question mark for WSU and you know that's you know I, I know it's looking way far into the future but uh, heading into next year you know that's a huge question mark for Wichita State is which one of those three guys is going to step up and you know kind of take command of that that center position after Echenique is gone or maybe WSU looks into you know the Juco transfer market or the grad transfer market after this season we'll just have to see but yeah those three are you know there's going through so many ups and downs and you know that's a good way to describe you know all this whole team basically well, you bring up ups and downs. You had an article on Kansas.com today about Eric Stevenson, who's maybe had the most volatile season as a shocker. You know, they have a fantastic record when he scores, I believe it's 10 points or more or something like that. But, you know, talk a little bit about the, the stats that you had in that article and what you saw from Stevenson's game on Sunday. Yeah, I believe they're uh, like 11-3 and three or something like that when he scores 10 or more. And it just seems like, you know, the offense, uh, it seems like it, it, it takes it to another level when Stevenson is scoring at that. But when I looked up the numbers, you know, it actually, uh, that uh, case isn't really supported when you look at, you know, the most efficient team performances by WSU this season. You know, it hasn't been when Stevenson has been going off. It's actually uh, some of the games where he was scoring single digits. So there's not a correlation there, but you, you, it, uh, that's just the, the feel that I get, though, is that when he he's in that, that swaggy E mode with, you know, the tongue out, and, you know, he's talking and he's got the smile, and you can just tell that just by the way he's bouncing up and down that, you know, he's he's got that dog in him. And, you know, when that comes out, it just feels like that gives WSU – you know, this unique kind of energy that no one else on that team can provide. And um, I don't know if that's real or not or can be backed up by numbers, but I'm just telling you that's the, the feel that, that I like I when get. he stood up to Tulsa. That was yeah, nice. and then, uh, and then uh, the, the teammates after the game, they, they kind of said the same thing. Dexter Dennis said that, you know, JB, uh, both of them both said that, um, you know, Eric, just the energy that he provides, it's uh, just a different kind of energy, you know, when he's got that confidence going. Uh, you know, we can be a really, really good team. And, um, you know, that slide that WSU, that kind of coincided with, with Stevenson's, you know, um, decrease in production on offense when he went through his own personal slump. That's when WSU went there, went through their troubles. And um, so, yeah, I think that if they can get him back and going, you know, headed into the conference tournament, 
Um, that's a that's a big big X factor, big swing for WSU. And um, Greg Marshall kind of hinted in the press conference that a lot of his problems are are mental. And he said, you know, he mentioned social media, you know, friends, family, coaches, other people in his life. Um, you know, having to deal with all those things as a student athlete, he he said, you know, these guys just deal with so much stuff off the court. And he kind of hinted that those were kind of the problems that, that Eric was kind of sorting through. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe this can be the breaking breakthrough point for him. And uh, this will be the start of a, a good uh, postseason run by Stevenson. But, um, you know, w- the player that he was the first two months of the season, if WSU can get that back, I think uh, no doubt about it, they could, you know, challenge for a conference championship this weekend. I don't like to tell other people how to be a fan, but I've never seen fans get so worked up about a player as they have Stevenson and Sherfield. You know, I was out watching the game at Memphis on Thursday, at the game on Sunday at Coke Arena, and I mean, people are vocal about some of this stuff. It was nice to see those guys in the Tulsa game both make plays that, you know, helped with the win. And it was also nice to see them once again go out and just beat a team. I mean, 22 points. They let it get to 10 at one point, I believe, but really were, you know, dominant from the very start. And the biggest thing that comes from this game, the Shockers finish with the four seed in the AAC tournament. Cincinnati gets the de facto one seed because Houston had beat Memphis, Shockers beat Tulsa, and we've been talking for weeks now that that's the draw you want on Saturday, that semifinal day in the tournament, because more than likely going to match up a little better with the Bearcats than they do with Houston. Yeah, I agree, and you know, I don't think, you know, maybe if SMU would have won and they would have been the five seed, that's probably the best, um, you know, best matchup for WSU. Even though they went down twenty four at SMU, I still think. You know, play that, run that back. I still think that WSU likes its chances on a, on a neutral court. But you know, SMU is very, very talented on offense, and uh, UConn uh, is another talented team. They're playing hot right now. They've won nine of twelve coming into the conference tournament. You know, Christian Vital has just been on a heater for the last uh, like three weeks. He's averaging like twenty four points and uh, just been playing lights out. And you know, they're down to like seven guys, seven or eight guys. Uh, uh, so it's pretty crazy that they're going on this run, but I think WSU would much, you know, they're not going to say that publicly, but I think they would rather play UConn rather than a team like Memphis that's, you know, uh, maybe the same record, but, you know, they're, they're so, they have so much talent, and we saw what, you know, Memphis's athleticism and, and size and speed can do to WSU earlier this week when they just, you know, had WSU all out of sorts on the offensive end and that that loss at Memphis. So I don't think they wanted to see them, and I don't think they wanted to see Houston because those are the two teams that that really give them problems on defense, it seems like. And, uh, yeah, now they don't have to see those uh, to the championship game. I think they would love to get another crack at Jaron Cumberland and and Cincinnati. That's been the, the bugaboo team. That's the team that beat them last year in the semifinals. And, very well could be an NCAA tournament play-in game. You know, both of those teams are right there on the bubble. You see a lot of, you know, bracketologists have Cincinnati and Wichita State in as the first four or maybe one of them on the first four out. So who knows? That could end up being a basically a play-in game to the, the big dance, uh, let alone, uh, you know, the, or the AAC championship game too. We'll get to a lot of this in the second segment of the show, but certainly if they do play Cincinnati and they lose, being 0-3 against Cincinnati, not going to look the best when it comes to the NCAA Tournament Committee. They have a Ken Palm ranking of 39, net ranking of 41. From your opinion, where do they stand on the bubble right now? And then I'm going to have producer Brian jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you when you talk to bracketologists and you kind of get the, you look at bracket matrix and see, you know, where they are, Right now, you know they're they're pretty comfortably in on, on bracket matrix, which tracks you know I think a hundred and like twenty brackets or something like that, pretty close to it. And uh, WSU is in more brackets than they're out. Um, you know, a lot of people have them going to, or some people do have them going to Dayton for the first four. I think that you know it just depends on how the committee looks at this resume, and you know it's it's one of those that's solid. It's not going to stand out to you, but you know it's not going to. It's, there's no black eyes, and it just depends on how much the the committee values that. And um, I think that that WSU, the the thing that's going to hold them back is you know that lack of marquee win. Whenever OU is looking nice right now, uh, they're playing their way pretty safely into the tournament. But that's still, 
you know, not a not a Q1 win, and they don't have that top top level of uh, marquee win when you when you start looking comparing them to to other teams on the bubble that maybe do have a black eye or two or three. But the difference is that those teams have proven they can beat you know those top end teams, and I think that's the that's the one thing that you know would make me nervous if I'm Greg Marshall. You know, if they beat UConn, lose to Cincinnati, like you said, you know, zero and three mark against Cincinnati. Uh, that probably puts Cincinnati into the tournament. Uh, then you'd have like a one and six record against NCAA tournament teams. That's not, you know, that's not a great look, and that would make me very, very nervous if I'm WSU. You know, at best case scenario, I think you're going to Dayton in that case. And you know, the more likely scenario, you might, or maybe the the thing that very well could happen would be, you know, being one of the first teams left out of the the, the tournament field because you didn't prove that you can beat NCAA tournament teams. So that's going to be the thing that. Uh, WSU will look back on and and have regrets about you know that that loss to Cincinnati that loss at Tulsa um, you know missed opportunities like that will come back to haunt them if they do get left out but you know I'm I'm optimistic about how solid the the resume is I think that having a winning record against the top two quadrants that matters I think not having a, a Q3 or a Q4 loss I think that matters. And I think the overall body of work is enough for WSU to get in right now as a 10 or 11 seed. So let's take a little more of a detailed look at that resume itself. We kind of talked about it. So what I'll, what I'll do is I'll give you one component of Wichita State's resume. And then you guys give me feedback on whether you, or not you think it's a benefit for Wichita State or it's going to hold them back. So let's start off with the strength of schedule, both the non-conference and the overall strength of schedule total when you include AAC play. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's kind of a neutral right now. You know, the, the non-con just didn't work out the way that WSU thought it was going to. Um, and Greg kind of touched on that a little bit today in our press conference. He said, you know, if you play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, South Carolina, West Virginia, Ole Miss, you know, you play those teams, VCU, um, on a yearly basis, you know, more times than not, that's going to work out as, to be one of the best, you know, non-cons in the, in the country. But, you know, that just wasn't the case this year. I think I saw something where they were like, uh, they're, they're more than 100, above 100 on non-conference strength of schedule. So, you know, that's just not a not a uh, mark that's going to, you know, stand out to the selection committee, even though, you know, you cleaned up against it. I think they, you know, 12-1 and one in the non-conference. So um, they took care of business, but, you know, what hurt them was, you know, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, South Carolina not living up to their their bargain and or their end of the deal and you know all three of those teams really struggled this year so not as as impressive as you would have thought coming into the year. You could even say the same thing about Memphis considering when Wichita State beat them they were a top 25 team. Well, and another counterpoint that you can make, which was in Coach Marshall's press conference today, is you look at all these Big Ten teams, what's their non-conference strength of schedule? And so there's a point to be made that the Shockers, you know, made the effort. They, you know, the numbers speak for themselves as far as where they ended up in non-conference play. And I would agree with Taylor, it's more of a neutral. All right. What about Wichita State's road record? Currently, they sit at five and five. How do you feel like that stacks up to the rest of the teams on the bubble? I mean, I would say that's a slight, slight positive, um, not an overly big one just because, you know, they don't have uh, like a marquee road win. You know, the two that are, are uh, sliding into that key one right now are Oklahoma State and um, and uh, UConn. But, you know, neither of those teams are in the top 60 in the net. So, you know, the five road wins, yes, they, that, that record sounds impressive, but, you know, at the end of the day, it would be nice to have one in, in that, that upper half of the, the Q1 section. Um, and, you know, at UConn, at Oklahoma State, yes, th those are good, but, you know, neither of those are going to, you know, move the needle very much for WSU, I don't think. Well, and I feel like I'm playing counterpoint to Taylor's uh, first point the, on both instances here. If you look at these Big Ten teams or if you look at other teams on the bubble, they're 2-7, and 2-8 and eight on the road, and so 5-5. Five and five, I, would, I would actually say that's a neutral again, but certainly not something that would hold them back. All right, and then one of the things that, that gets mentioned or talked about, but you never really are sure how much the committee takes it into account, is the advanced metrics. At the top of all the team sheets, they don't just have the net. They also keep track of KPI, strength of record, 
Ken Pomeroy's numbers, Sagarin's numbers, and across the board, Wichita State sitting somewhere between 39 and 42 between all of the metrics. So is that something that is in Wichita State's favor, or could it be a negative? I think this is uh, NWSU's favor uh, from just uh, – I think I, I stacked them up against the bubble teams not too long ago. It was like, uh, uh, like four or five days ago, and – I looked at like seven or eight teams that were, you know, according to bracket matrix right there, you know, a little above them, a little below them. And, you know, WSU had, uh, you know, the best marks of any of those teams. You know, I think Texas maybe uh, was up there and or it was Purdue, uh, but Purdue, you know, just lost like its 15th game. So I think Purdue's kind of out of the mix because, you know, assuming they lose in the conference tournament, you know, 16 losses, I don't think that's going to get in. So, you know, if you take them out of it now, then WSU had the best, you know, metrics of, of all those te- those bubble teams. So I think this is going to turn out to be a strength for WSU uh, um, when they start, you know, because I think with this bubble, you know, I think they're, they're, they're really going under the microscope and, you know, stuff like this matters. And I think this will end up helping WSU because those advanced metrics, uh, you know, efficient, efficiency and stuff like that, are going to be in WSU's favor compared to some of these other bracket or bubble teams. I completely agree with Taylor. I think it's one of their biggest strengths, actually. You look at the Ken Palm numbers. I wouldn't call this team great on the defensive end, but what are they, sixth or eighth in the nation right now in Ken Palm adjusted defense, defensive efficiency? Yeah, eight. So, I mean, certainly the, the, the numbers have, you know, proven me wrong or at least proven what some of us have thought wrong. And I would say that being 39 and 41 in the net, that, that should be a team that's in the big dance. Now, this one is probably a little obvious, but bad losses. Wichita State doesn't have any Q3 or Q4 losses. How's that going to stack up against the bubble teams? Yeah, I mean, again, like when I looked, they were the the only team that didn't have a bad loss and had a winning record against the top two quadrants. I think one other team, I forgot who it was, but they didn't have a, a Q3 or a Q4 loss either, but they had a losing record against the top two, top two quadrants. So, um, yeah, this is obviously a strength for WSU. Um, but from what I, you know, talking to bracketologists, they said that the selection committee has been known to, you know, forgive those black guys, especially if they're early in the season. You, you look like a, a team like Cincinnati who took like three bad losses early in the year. Uh, he said they're more likely to forgive something like that if the team is playing better as of late. So um, I don't know if it's going to be as big of a benefit as, as w, WSU would hope, but it's obviously a clear benefit for WSU. You know, I, I would agree with that to a certain extent, but I think the lack of a quality win kind of almost offsets the lack of a quality or you the lack of a bad loss. And so that they, they kind of just have a vanilla resume. I mean, they should no. get in from what we're saying here, but you got to at least win one in Fort Worth. You probably need to win two, if we're being honest, just to feel comfortable. And we've said that, you know, for weeks now. So, you know, but there's just nothing that jumps off the page to you. Yeah. And it does, it does depend on who they play, too. Like, just saying, um, you know, if they win two, but if it's over, you know, Tulane, if there's a crazy upset, and then they play, like, another crazy upset at South Florida, you know, those two wins aren't going to do much for WSU's resume. So they would have to win over UConn and over Cincinnati, those those specific opponents. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. You beat UConn, uh, you know, you have a chance. If you beat Cincinnati in the semis, you, you, you feel really good about your chances of being locked into the field. Um, I don't think they're going to leave WSU out playing in the American um, Conference Championship. So um, that's kind of the way I... And Ken Palm has us currently with the second best odds to win the tournament. They that, do. You know, based on the draw. And then SI, I believe, picked the Shockers to win the AAC tournament today in their projections. Yeah, and you know, I think... In, <laughs> You know, any team in the American, uh, you know, they can feel like they have a shot. You know, Tulane beat Cincinnati, so you have the 12 over 1. So that just shows you, you know, how crazy this conference was. I think this was the first time in conference history where the first place team had five losses and the first time in conference history where the the last place team had uh, five wins, I believe. Four 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 wins. wins. Yeah, it tied tied for the most. So Your boy Ron Hunter walked on water. I saw your Ron Hunter, yeah. (laughs) He photoshopped himself walking on water, so he's a man of his word. But, uh, 
No, I mean, they're, they're so much different than last year, too. You know, you could just pencil in Tulane, you know, that's a that's an easy win. Except for WSU last year when they went to down to New Orleans, had to have that Dexter Dennis Miracle 3. But, um, you know, last year they were just getting beat, you know, left and right by, you know, 20-plus points every night. This year, you know, they were, you know, they, they took some 20-plus point losses, but, you know, they were competitive in a lot more games. They won four and, uh, you know, things are trending up for him. I, I love the, the energy and passion that he brings. And uh, there's no doubt Tulane and East Carolina, both of those two teams, have, have kind of got their their lives together. They picked themselves up off the floor. And, uh, yes, they're still 11 and 12 in this conference, but they're in, they're much closer to 10, 9, 8 now than, than what they were a year ago. So, yeah, I think any of these teams can, can win it. There's probably, you know, six that I would say that have, like, a legitimate – uh, you know, we, we legitimately believe we can win this conference championship, uh, maybe seven if you count, you know, SMU. But, you know, they've just had so many epic collapses this year. I, I don't know if you can rely on them to, to win four straight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a crazy, crazy conference. I would not, you know, it would be a little surprising if Wichita State wins, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility by any any means. I think that there there is might the, have a home court advantage. We'll see how many fans are down there. Yeah, well, if there'll be any fans at all, we'll we'll have to see. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll probably make a decision on that sometime Wednesday. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be a crazy crazy conference tournament. Also today, we had the all-conference selections. First team, two Bearcats, Cumberland and Scott from Cincinnati, Vital from UConn, Achua from Memphis, and Igbanu from Tulsa. Did you have any beef there? No, I had uh, I had Trey Scott on my second team, but there's, you know, I cannot, you know, make an argument for why, you know, I don't have any problem with him being first team. He is more than deserving. I thought there were seven guys that were really, really good. You know, I feel bad for Jane Gardner, too. It's like, if you're him... What more do you have to do to get on the first team? But even though I, I had him second team as well, but, um, you know, there are just a lot of really, really good players. Um, I guess if you, you know, they moved. I had Nate Hinton on my first team just because I think he affects winning so much for Houston, does so many of the little things well for the Cougars. And, um, you know, obviously they were conference champions, so I had him first team, Trey Scott second team. But, um, I thought that uh, Jaime Echenique was going to have a chance before I looked at the numbers and I did the deep dive and I was like, man, Martin Zabagnu was way, way better than I thought he was. Um, and that, that was kind of the swinger for, for me was that I didn't realize that he was averaging, you know, 16 points off the bench for Tulsa, um, cause he just wasn't that impressive against WSU the first time around. But, um, I thought Echenique had a, had a shot at first team, but after looking at a uh, second team was probably where he belonged. I don't think any other shocker really had much of a case for a third team. You know, Dexter Dennis maybe. Um, Tyson Etienne, you know, he was right there on the bubble for the all-freshman team too. He just missed out. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think WSU pretty much, you know, they were so up and down this year. I don't think there were any – you know, shockers outside of Echenique that were super consistent that had a, a, a you know, a legitimate case to, to feel like they, they got snubbed. So I think, uh, you know, Etienne was right there. Uh, Sherfield probably a little bit back. And then, you know, JB, Dexter, uh, maybe for third team. But, you know, no, I didn't feel like they got snubbed. You had some interesting stats just from the AAC season on your Twitter uh, maybe talk about those a little bit. We saw, you know, Dexter Dennis, really one of the top players in the conference as far as three-pointers made, had numbers on there in steals, blocks, all, all sorts of different stuff. Echenique, I know, was on that block list. So maybe just talk about anything you thought was interesting from there, particularly uh, any Wichita State players. Well, the the number one thing that surprised me was that Jaron Cumberland didn't lead the league in uh, fouls drawn per 40 minutes. That was That was pretty crazy. He was actually fourth, so who knew? Um, but yeah, you know, the three point shooting was a big deal. Um, Dexter Dennis was third in the conference with 39 threes in 18 games, uh, 39% clip. So he was pretty, pretty automatic. Uh, Tyson Etienne had a good conference season, although he dipped uh, quite a bit from what he was shooting in non-con. Uh, Eric Stevenson made the, the leaderboard for steal rates. Um, he just has a knack for, for coming up with loose balls and, and coming up with defensive rebounds. He's uh, one of the best defensive rebounding, you know, guards in the country. Um, block rate, like you said, Jaime Echenique finishes third um, in the conference, and he was one of the best, uh, you know, two-way players 
Uh, I had him on my all-defensive team. Uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, the advanced stats, I think you know opponents were shooting like 53% at the rim when he's on the floor, and then when he's off the floor, uh, the opponents are shooting like 60% at the rim. So huge, huge spike there when he's not on the court for WSU, and I think he's been the anchor for this team's defense all season. And, uh, you know, he came up with a bunch of steals and blocks in that, that last game, too. So he's been very, very good for WSU. Great two-way player. Did a big profile on him uh, on senior day. Um, he was, he you know, it was very candid, opened up to me about, you know, he had, you know, real self-esteem problems growing up in Columbia. And, you know, he was pudgy and, you know, super tall for his age. And kids used to make fun of him all the time. And, you know, he was very, you know, uh, self-conscious about that. And, you know, he, he was made to, to feel that his height and his weight were, were negative things. And he didn't appreciate those things when he was growing up and always kind of felt like a little bit of an outsider. And it wasn't until, you know, he came to America and still, you know, he kind of has that, that label being a little soft by, by coaches. You know, they used to make him run wind sprints, and when he got tired, he would just, you know, collapse to the floor and can say, like, my heart's going to explode. And the coaches had to, you know, Marshall literally had to take him to a cardiologist last year to say, here are the tests, your heart is fine, it's just all mental with you. And that kind of seemed to be, like, the, the turning point with, with uh, Jaime, and, you know, he got tougher after that, and you know, I think he had just not been worked to, you know, he he hadn't trained to that level. He hadn't played at that level before coming over here. So I think uh, uh, Greg Marshall has done a wonderful job of turning and molding him into the player that he's become. And I think this year, uh, Jaime has really kind of, you know, he's learned to love himself. And he, he talked about that, that, you know, he finally started believing in himself and that's such a big uh, turning point mentally that's kind of unlocked his game. And, you know, if you notice this year, he's dunking almost everything at the rim now. And, you know, he wasn't doing that last year as much. And, uh, you know, he's playing angry. And, you know, he's got a little bit of a mean streak to him now. He's still, you know, pretty, uh, you know, he's still not super mean, super tough. But, you know, he's much, much uh, better in that regard than when he first got here. And I think that's a credit to Marshall the way that he's able to push these guys and uh, kind of, you know, familiar to Shaq Morris, you know, pushing him to that great senior season that he had, kind of reminiscent of what he's done here with, with Jaime Echenique and how far he's come in two years at Wichita State. And I thought that was a pretty cool moment uh, when he checked out of the game, went to center court, kissed the shocker. And um, what's it been like? You know, it's obviously a, a different relationship compared to a four-year player you, you kind of watch grow and mature. What's it been like to see a two-year player like Echenique, especially one that's meant so much to WSU these last two years? I think it's been nice. I, I think throughout Greg Marshall's entire time here, there's been a lot of two-year guys. You look at Clanthony Early, you, there, you know, certainly uh, plenty of other guys who have transferred here and had an impact on the program. But to your point on last week's show, you know, Echenique has really had a big role these last two seasons, really playing that, you know, entire void there at the five. And so uh, it was nice to see him have that moment all by himself and also nice to see how, you know, his teammates really reacted and ran over afterwards. And, you know, once again, boy, this team has been up and down, but it seems like they like each other again. <laughs> yeah, it's well, I mean, I, I've heard that's that's always been the case. I, I don't think it's ever been a case of them like not liking each other. I think these guys are brothers and they love each other. And um, what it's kind of come down to is just, you know, individuals, you know, worried about shots, worried about production, not necessarily jealous, jealousy of you know, of other people or not liking each other or anything like that. I think this is a very, very tight-knit team, but, you know, when you get, you know, stuff in, stuff like that in your head, I think that can kind of cause problems. But, yeah, I mean, this team, uh, from everyone I've talked to within the program, inside the program, they've all said that uh, Jaime has been the glue. You know, this team has almost fallen apart so many times, you know, these last few weeks, and, and Marshall's hinted at it, made it public, just said it very clearly that, you know, there's off the court issues with the with these guys and and all, you know, this whole time it's been Jaime Echenique as the glue, as the senior who says, Hey guys, like play for like I don't care if you play for yourself, play for me. Like this is my last chance. I want he wants to play in the NCAA tournament so bad and I think that he's really, really helped this team stick together 
and and kind of bond them and been the glue that that holds them together and it's kind of a similar situation now to to what they did last year for for Mark and you know wanting to to bring him home or close to home with the NIT championship and they really really rallied for McDuffie last year and I think I'm getting I'm getting at the same sense that these sophomores these freshmen are doing the same thing right now for Jaime because he's made it so clear to them like I do not want to leave here without playing in March Madness and um, you know he he wanted a red shirt this year because he thought it would be, give him a better chance of playing in the NCAA tournament next year and he had a very very serious conversation with Greg Marshall to start the season. He said, I, I think I should redshirt, and he made a, a case for it, and Greg was like, I I mean, we can make the NCAA tournament this year, but we need you. So um, that was that just goes to show you how badly that, that Jaime wants to play in March Madness and the, the links that he's willing to go to, to get there. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for the weekend in Fort Worth. Welcome back to Doc Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We'll move into our AAC tournament preview, starting with Thursday's Game 1 matchup between USF and UCF. Tips at noon central on ESPNU. Who do you got in the Battle of the Floridas? Man, that's a tough one. They, I think South Florida coming in with a little more momentum. They won 3 of 4. I'm going to go South Florida. I think it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. Might be the first one to like 55. South Florida does play really good defense, so certainly would have an advantage in an early game on Thursday in what will probably be a very empty arena at that point. Game two will be the team that will advance to play Wichita State on Friday. It's 12-seeded Tulane versus number 5 UConn, 2 p.m. game on ESPNU. These teams just played on Sunday. I believe it was a four-point win for UConn, but now playing five days later, you know, or four days later, really, rather, uh, you know, quick quick turnaround for them, and it's not out of the woods that Tulane could upset UConn. No, yeah, I mean, Tulane's got some, some bite to them, but... I don't think I don't see it happening. UConn is playing really, really well. Like I said, five straight, nine of twelve coming into the conference tournament. So I think UConn gets the job done. And WSU, if you're a WSU fan, you need a root for UConn because WSU needs that that quality win. Because you know beating Tulane, yes, that gets you probably an easier matchup, but that does not move the needle for your your resume. Uh, a win against UConn will, would at least be a Q2 win and rack up another quality win before March Madness. Game three starts the night session. Number ten Temple versus number seven SMU. It's seven p.m. Central on ESPNU. If you had to pick one upset of the day, I think this is it. Temple could upset SMU. We'll see what kind of crowd they have there in Fort Worth. Yeah, it's these are two teams that are coming in not hot. Uh, I think SMU has lost, I think five of six, and Temple has lost five in a row coming in. So, you know, who knows with this team? And you know, it's going to be probably like whoever gets up for it honestly and like you said you know these are uh two teams not separated by much in talent uh I do like SMU's offense a little bit more but I don't like that they give up so many epic leads and they've had so many just 95 percent win probabilities that have turned into losses I think they had like six now so it's uh you know it'd be heartbreaking to have one or two of those in a year to have six is just unfathomable and, uh, you know, they're not far away from being a good team. But, like you said, I think, you know, one upset has to happen. Why not Why not the Owls? Night game number 11, East Carolina versus number 6, Memphis. 9 p.m. tip on ESPNU. Do you think Memphis still thinks they have a shot at the NCAA tournament? I do. I think if they uh, their mindset going in is, you know, take care of this first one, then beat Houston, and uh, maybe we're, we're back into things. And, um they would play would they play Tulsa the they would semi- play Tulsa. yeah if I think if they beat Tulsa and Houston to get to the conference championship game I think they're they're in the mix you know for uh for an at-large bid I think they would play themselves uh back in the conversation right now they're definitely out but you know they have the possibility the way that the bracket fell to play play their way back in and, and beating Houston is going to be like the the gold you know chip for for any all these teams right right on the bubble if you can beat Houston you're going to give yourself that Q1 win and and get yourself back in that conversation 
As we move to Friday in the quarterfinals, the USF-UCF winner will play number one Cincinnati. That's at noon central on ESPN2. Do you see either of those programs giving the Bearcats any trouble? No, but, you know, who knows? You know, Cincinnati, they lost to Central Florida, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, that's a team that was just living and dying on a prayer uh, there for, you know, four straight overtime games. I think six straight possession or six straight games decided on the last possession. So, you know, you never know with Cincinnati. You know, they've you would think that they would have take care of business against these lower level teams and even Temple, you know, Temple at home, you know, on senior day for Cumberland and Trey Scott, you would think they would come out fired up, blow Temple out, kind of like what WSU did to uh, Tulsa. But no, you know, they were down in the last minute of that game. It took a tip in with uh, like f- three seconds left just to win that game. So you never know with Cincinnati. Um, there's probably going to be drama, you know, one way or the other. So I don't think you can just go ahead and, you know, uh, you know, Sharpie on Cincinnati. That's a game that, that could produce an upset. But, you know, I'm obviously going to, you know, you pick Cincinnati uh, going into it, though. The Shockers will play at 2 p.m. Central on ESPN2. They'll play the UConn Tulane winner. Let's assume it's UConn. Shockers won at UConn earlier this year. But if you have to point to one, you know, kind of game where the season started to turn, let a late lead go, you go to overtime, and it's been a little rocky since then. So what what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, and, uh, you know, those are two, yeah, incredibly different teams. And when they played the, the first time around, you know, obviously Wichita State has gone through their, their uh, you know, rock-bottom phase, and now they're, they're starting to come out of it. And then UConn, that was, you know, uh, you know in the midst of their rock-bottom. And now they're completely different because they lost, you know, two players that were big-time guys for them. They're basically playing with seven, eight guys and they've shifted to a four-guard lineup, and it's working for them. And like I said, they're they're on fire coming into the, the conference tournament. They beat Houston at home uh, in the last home game before they left the American. They were uh, super fired up, and I think they're going to bring that same energy to Fort Worth. I think this is kind of the farewell tour for them, that they're they're motivated to leave this conference and, and kind of uh, – you know, give everyone else a sour taste by taste in their mouths by by winning the conference tournament. I think that would be, uh, you know, that's what they're motivated by, and they're you know more than capable of doing it with the offense that they have. Like I said, Christian Vital is going off. James Booknight, one of the most talented freshmen in the country. Those two guys are problems. Uh, I do like how WSU matches up with them, though, and I think they have the depth if they want to use it to potentially wear them down. Obviously, they're going to be playing the the day before, so um, they're not going to be as fresh as WSU. So I think WSU, um, you know, it's a good matchup, but this is still a UConn team that's, you know, coming in red hot in this scenario. Uh, They're going to be coming in with six straight wins, so this is a team playing very, very well. But this is a you know also a team that WSU can can handle, and they showed that on the road early in the season. Biggest advantage is going to be having that Thursday off and not playing till Friday. I think you hit the nail on the head. The depth that you're able to throw at them on tired legs after playing a game that might be close with Tulane, I think lets the Shockers prevail. The Temple SMU winner will play number two Houston in the night session, six thirty Central on Friday. ESPNU Houston probably moves on there. Yeah, I think they eat up uh, whoever advances out of that game. Both of those teams, not exactly who you would think of, you know, strong-willed teams. I think Houston's just the defense that they play alone is going to shut both of those teams, whoever advances out of that one, and, and give the Cougars a, a trip to the semis. And then if it ends up being Memphis and Tulsa, who would you take in that matchup? I would take Memphis, I think. Uh, but I think the, the one thing that makes me a little hesitant I mean, obviously, I don't think it's uh, close with with a talent matchup, but Tulsa's matchup zone that makes me a little little cautious. I don't know how Memphis is going to do uh, handling with that, and you know, if they're not you know making three pointers, if it's a cold outside shooting game for them, then uh, they could very well get frustrated and and bow out in that game. But I think Memphis they're going to be motivated um, and to to turn it on in March Madness, and they're going to have the best player on the floor in Precious Achua. So I think uh, I think the Tigers win that one in an upset and seed, I guess. Now let's assume Wichita State gets the victory on Friday and that they play Cincinnati on Saturday. We won't do this too much more, but what would be the keys to a shocker victory over Cincinnati for the first time this season? 
Yeah, I mean, just better defense on Cumberland, basically. You know, that he's he's such a, you know, he's obviously, you know, very, very good. We'll find out tomorrow if he wins his second straight AAC player of the year. But, you know, he's good against other teams, but it just seems like something about Wichita State brings out the best in him. And I think four of his last ga- five games against WSU the last two seasons, he's gone off for 20, I think 24 plus. So he's just, you know, eating them up and, you know, WSU's going to have to find an answer. You know, they put Dexter Dennis on him, uh, but he gets him in foul trouble. And I think, you know, that game in Cincinnati, it just seemed like he drew like 15 fouls on WSU by himself. He shot a AAC record, 22 free throws. So that's going to be the biggest key is just, you know, keeping him off the foul line, not letting him, you know, just live at the foul line. Because I thought in the half court, they did a, you know, an A-plus job. You know, I think they forced him into six turnovers. He was like three for 11 um, from the field. So they did a really, really good job. It was just, you know, uh, limiting him in transition, not letting him, you know, get that, that motor going, just going straight to the basket and just barreling into people and drawing the foul. So transition defense is going to be crucial against Cincinnati and, uh, yeah, keeping Cumberland off the foul line. This is going back to the first segment, but boy, those officials were a little ticky-tack on Sunday at Tulsa. A lot of fouls called. Was not a fan of that. Big picture AAC tournament. Who do you got in the championship game? And if you had to give percent odds that Wichita State runs the table, what would those be? Man, well, I like Houston. I think their defense is is lights out. I don't think they're going to lose. I, I think they win the conference tournament championship. And I think it's we're gonna get part three with Wichita State Cincinnati. I think that's the semifinal matchup. I I have a feeling, I have a feeling. It's hard to beat a team three times in a year. Yeah, I I hear that, and I think that this is you know I don't know how to describe it, but I just have a feeling that this is the time they finally are able to beat Cumberland, and that's the that's the guy that stood in front of them so many times and come out on top and. I just have a feeling that this is the one time that WSU is going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be super motivated uh, playing for their NCAA tournament lives. This will be the win that kind of locks up that auto bid or at large bid. And um, I don't think they can, I don't see them beating Houston in a championship game. But hey, you know, if you get, if you just get to the game, anything can happen. And just to give yourself a chance, that'd be more than what a lot of Shocker fans would have said, you know, three weeks ago, six weeks ago when they were going through that swoon. So I think everybody would take that an opportunity to play for a championship. I'm going to pick the Shockers. I think WSU, Houston in the final. That's what I'm seeing. Um, The odds, you know, I would put it kind of like what Ken Palm has. I would put both Cincinnati and and Houston. Cincinnati and WSU right around that, you know, 35% mark. Um, I think they're both going to be favorites in that quarterfinal matchup, and then it's kind of a toss-up who wins on a neutral floor because both of those games, WSU and Cincinnati, obviously were decided on the last possession. Well, let's let's remember last year's AAC tournament was such a close game with Cincinnati. Yeah, so certainly the Shockers, you know, owe them one of these. I know, yeah, McDuffie had that shot at the end that could have – I mean, that was one of the greatest – uh, McDuffie's run uh, during that tournament was was pretty incredible, and uh, watching him just you know single-handedly put a team on his back and say like he almost took them to the NCAA tournament. I if they would have won that game in Cincinnati, they would have had so much belief, so much confidence, and you know for a team that was you know left for dead last season, uh, that would have been really really fun to see. But obviously they they were able to still pull off a pretty crazy uh, run in the NIT after that, so. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, they've had so many heartbreaking losses to Cincinnati. This is a team that prevented them from winning that conference championship three years ago, you know, at Coke Arena. And, you know, it was Cumberland then. Last year, you know, this is a team that stopped that that run in Orlando or the, the run in Memphis. It was Cumberland then. And, you know, it's been Cumberland this year. So this getting is me pissed off over here. No, Dustin's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's getting all fired up. He wants to punch a wall right now. But yeah, I mean that's I think that's how all WSU feels. I think that, we need that to exercise he, some demons. Yeah, you know? he, we used he to have gets, Creighton demons. Now we need to get rid of these. Yeah, I think he gets under their skin, and um, they're you know if they can beat him, I think you're going to see some pretty wild celebrations going on after that. 
Should be a great atmosphere down in Fort Worth. Excited to go down there. I have a group of uh, oh, 10 or so folks that are going down. I think I mentioned this last week. My 11th consecutive conference tournament with the Shockers. Buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right, so we spent a little bit of time in our first segment talking about Eric Stevenson. Obviously, during the early run, going 15-1, and one, he was the leading scorer at that time. When he's playing well, you see him knocking down shots. You see him stealing the ball. You see him getting to the rim. You see him making passes that really no one else on this team sees. He sees the play a step ahead. But when he's not playing well, you see him careless turnovers, poor shot selection, you know, out of rhythm shooting. So... When you look at this roster and you're and you're looking for the guy that's the key, is Eric Stevenson that X factor for Wichita State to have success? I I will buy that. Even though I, I said you know the numbers don't really you know prove it, it just I think it it just it feels that way though that when he is at his best, it takes WSU up another level. And uh, like you said, you know, he's he's kind of that guy that can do stuff that no one else on this team can do. And I think his teammates feed off that energy. And, you know, I know uh, it annoys the hell out of opponents. It annoys, I know the opposing fans probably hate him. He's one of those guys that you love him if you're on. Uh, you love him if he's on your team, but you hate him if he's not. Um, so I, I think he is that X factor for WSU. I'm going to sell that. I still think it's Dexter Dennis. I, you know, we saw him in foul trouble and, and missing some shots against the game or on the game against Tulsa on Sunday. But still, I think he's the guy that makes these shockers click. We talked about it before about Cincinnati, potentially a third matchup in the semifinals of the conference tournament. Is beating Cincinnati the key to getting into the NCAA tournament? Is that the matchup? You win and you're in, you lose and you're out. I will buy that. I think they need to beat Cincinnati. I think they can't go 0-3 against Cincinnati. Taylor's talked about how the bubble has, you know, maybe become a little bit more clear over these last few days, but I don't think you can put it out to chance. You just need to win the game. Yeah, I'll buy it. I think that's the game. If you if you win it, you feel uh, very, very comfortable that you're getting in the field. You're hearing your name on Sunday, but I don't know if I would say that it's it's a win and you're in, lose and you're done. I think there's still a scenario where, you know, it just depends on what the other bubble teams do, but I still think there's a scenario if you beat UConn, you pick up one more quality win, yes, the 0-3 record against Cincinnati would, would leave a sour, sour taste in the mouth, but I think there's still a chance that they could get that first four game in Dayton. All right, now going to Fort Worth, we know Wichita State's going to bring a large crowd, even as the four seed. Does Wichita State have more fans in Fort Worth than Houston, Cincinnati, and Tulsa combined, the top three seeds? <laughs> I will I will buy that. I don't, I don't think those fan bases will travel as well. I know WSU is expecting a big turnout this weekend. Uh, you know, despite some of the concerns that are going on right now. There's um, no concerns. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin has no concerns. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that WSU is going to have by far the biggest uh, fan base there. And, you know, Greg Marshall uh, called out SMU fans. He, he's, he said that we're going to have way more than, than any other fan base, especially or even SMU where it's, you know, a 30-minute drive from Dallas. So um, I don't think they're – they're going to have a ton of fans either. So, I'm going to get to my buy or sell here in a second. Can I talk about how not shaking hands after the game is stupid when you're all sweating on each other and touching the same basketball for, <laughs> you know, 40 minutes going back and forth, rubbing all up on each other, uh, you know, and don't now all of a sudden we can't shake hands. Don't Are you kidding hands. me? And it just creates drama. You know, all the WSU fans thought Tulsa was big time in them when they really weren't. It was an awkward fist bump when Memphis and them were doing it. So can, can we just shake hands, please? But uh, getting back to it, I'm going to sell it only because Cincinnati does travel really well. They're, they're going to be the number two team there, and probably Houston will be number three. So I think those two teams together, I don't think Tulsa has a whole lot of fans. Actually, Tulsa was very complimentary of the atmosphere uh, in Wichita and said, like, that's where they should be striving to try and get to right now. I think they've had... Uh, I believe it's four or five sellouts in their last 250 games that they've had down there. In yeah, Texas, they're crazy. So. Like uh, I was looking at the average attendance um, 
They were like third from last. They were like barely above four thousand. And they do not have faith in Haith, if you will. Yeah. So and, and for you, I mean, a team is, that got yeah. the conference title. Yeah, this is a team that should well, have been. Well, here's by another everyone. thing that's a thorn in my side. A three way. They're all getting conference champion shirts. Is that really where we're at? That's a lot I mean, of shirts. That's a, lot, a, of lot, shirts of a lot of shirts that were printed. A lot of shirts. A lot of hats. A lot <laughs> of nets to be cut down. I've bought a ticket through Tulsa's athletic department before, and I started getting emails. Buy your Tulsa champion shirt. I'm like, I just saw them get beat by 22 i'm not getting a shirt yeah they uh it's yeah it's so strange because you would have hijacked that, by herself <laughs> that you would think that a team like that that was picked 11th or 10th or whatever they were preseason that you know the fan base would you know love that to see a, a, a such a cinderella run to a conference championship and beating memphis by 40 yeah so Pretty bizarre. They, yeah, you know, that's counting the sellout with Wichita State too. They still only average like four thousand. So, um, yeah, that's that was the most shocking attendance figure that I saw uh, in the American. All right, last one. We're we're just gonna go back to it. Is does Wichita State find the momentum this weekend and play their way into the NCAA tournament, either as the the automatic bid or as an at large? I'm gonna buy that. I think that, like I said, you know, I picked them to to reach the the tournament championship game. I think uh, going in, I just have a good feeling about how they're playing. I think that game on Sunday um, was, you know, therapeutic for them in a way to to finally go out there and play the way they know they can. You know, to to win by 22 points to beat a conference champion like that. Um, just run them off the floor, basically. So I think they have some a lot of goodwill going into this tournament, a lot of good feelings. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, this team can be all over the map. You don't know what team you're going to get. I think we're going to get the good version of WSU this weekend, and they're going to play their way into an at-large bid. I'm going to buy that as well. I think they get it done. They finally, you know, uh, get a win over Cincinnati, and they play their way into the NCAA tournament. I kind of I had one more thought that I was wondering about. If you could take any of Wichita State's losses, any of them, if you flip any of them from a loss to a win, regardless of what the score actually was, does Wichita State then all of a sudden feel comfortable about their tournament chances? Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you flip one of those uh, Q1 wins that or would-be wins, I think that's the missing piece of this resume, you know, if you're playing that game and it doesn't matter how much they lost by, you know, winning at Houston would have been, you know, the the thing that that would have really stood, uh, you know, stood, made them stand out to the bubble teams and, and be that, you know, marquee Q1 win. Obviously, they were nowhere close. They lost by 33. That was their worst game of the year. But, you know, if they could just have that one marquee Q1 road win, that that's what WSU is missing. And I think if they had that, then they would be comfortably in. Well, I'm even wondering about like a game that you really felt like Wichita State probably should have won, which would be like Temple. You flip that from a loss to win, and all of a sudden that Q2 goes to eight and two. The road record goes to six and four. Like even that one seems like it would move the needle quite a bit. Just flipping it from a loss to a win. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I still don't think that. I mean, it it doesn't count as a bad loss. So. And if you flip it to a win, it's not a good win. So it's just another kind of one of those blah games um, that kind of gets lost in the middle. Um, so kind of the same thing with Tulsa. You know, yes, it would be a, a Q1 win, but it would be in the same group as the UConn and, and Oklahoma State. Really the only one that could have made a difference was at Houston. and um, Or at, at Cincinnati would have been another one, too, that, that would have been a, a, you know, a marquee kind of win that would have stood out. But is Wichita State at a disadvantage considering they play in a conference where they only get one home game that would count as Q1? Whereas you look at, like, the Big Ten, and they're all going to get, like, eight chances at a home game that's Q1. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it'll just depend on how the, the committee looks at those teams that were, you know, 500, a little below 500 in conference play. You know, is it better to, you know, some teams have, you know, five Q1 wins, but, you know, they're, you know, five and five and nine, five and ten against Q1 opponents. So uh, how, how the committee looks at stuff like that, it's going to be very telling. Um, you know, should teams be rewarded for playing for, for those five Q1 wins just because, but they got 15 opportunities at them? You know, that's going to be hard to, to judge. And, you know, WSU's two and six mark against Q1 in Q1 games, that's kind of a black eye too. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, 
how much it's kind of like what we talked about. You know, it's kind of a, a vanilla resume. How much is W? How much credit is WSU going to get for having a winning record against the top two quadrants and no bad losses? That's basically what it comes down to. This is our last show before the bracket is released. Let's go around the room. Do they make it in? If so, what seed? And just for fun, where do you think they they play in the first round? I think they do get in. Um, like I said, I think the in my scenario, they reach the conference championship. They lose to Houston. I think that gets them in. I think that bumps them up to a 10 seed, uh, beating Cincinnati. And in terms of where they go, that is a good question. I hope they go to Tampa. That would be a cool cool road trip for me. Um, but, you know, Cleveland, St. Louis, Omaha, somewhere like that, that's probably where WSU fans would rather go because that's a closer drive. Let's go to the Lou. Let's run it back, Producer Brian. <laughs> I, I, uh, I I hope they get in. I really hope that Echenique gets in. So, you know, I'm going to go with my heart on this one and that they make the tournament. And uh, one of the things that we always seem to see that the bracketologists struggle with is they can get the teams right, but they can't get the seed right. So I'm going to say with Wichita State in the field, all of a sudden they're a nine seed. That's what I'm going to go with. They're a nine seed and they're playing in like, uh, you know, Cleveland or something like that, you know, a, a long drive. But it's it's almost feels reminiscent of, you know, 2013. You know, let's get that nine seed and let's see what we can do with it. And the Final Fours in Atlanta this year. I think we've pointed that out before as well. Come on, run it back. You know, I don't know. I think they're going to get in, but this team has a very first 40 feel to me. They're going to play in an empty arena in Dayton. <laughs> I think if the if they coronavirus for the win. If they lose to or if they lose to Cincinnati, I think that's where they're going. I think they still get in, but they'll they'll go to Dayton. But the thing about it, you know, I think they match up with teams outside of their conference much better than they do with teams inside of their conference. And I don't even know if that's that hot of a take, but I just feel like their brand of basketball does better against teams that aren't familiar yeah. with them than teams that and have Greg, had an opportunity to scout them and play them yeah. several times. And Greg has mentioned that, too, is that their offense, just the way it is, that they have a lot of pet plays that – they can't run in conference, and sometimes some of those pet plays still work, even though they've been running for 13 years, same stuff, and they still work. But they work even better on a short scout, and you know, on teams that aren't used to it and haven't seen it and haven't played you twice in in the same season. So uh, he has mentioned that that he feels like they have a bigger advantage over you know teams from outside of their conference than teams inside their conference for whatever reason. He just feels that the sets that they run, the timing based stuff that they do works just way better against teams that don't know it as well. And um, so I think that's a, that's a good point, that they they just tend to, to, you know, match up very well in these non-conference, you know, postseason kind of games. And, you know, before that, you know, the loss to Marshall two years ago, they had a pretty good string of, you know, not just reaching March Madness, but, you know, winning a couple games while they're there. Well, we'll be with you next week to go over hopefully the NCAA tournament bracket and the Shockers run in the postseason. Taylor will be down with some great coverage in Fort Worth this week. I'll be down with some great uh, obnoxious cheering. And, uh, and some, anything some that you got coming from us uh, for us this week? Yeah, just a lot of uh, pre-tournament coverage uh, coming up. Um, Marshall had a really good antidote on his uh, radio show on Monday about what he felt like was the turning point uh, 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 of the, mar the arch madness uh, times there. And it was that first year. I don't know if you guys remember, but, I mean, obviously I wasn't paying attention back then, but he said the very first year he came to Wichita State, the very first game at arch madness, he just felt like the refs were out to get him. And they ended up kicking him out of the game. It was like some loss to Indiana State the first round, but he got kicked out, and he said that was the, he's the only coach in the 100-year history of the tournament to ever get kicked out of a of an Arch Madness game. And he said that when he got back to the locker room, he was just so mad, and he was just pacing back and forth, and Jim Shouse was back there trying to calm him down. He, he handed him a, a program <laughs> to try to, I guess, calm him down, give him something to read, give him something to do, and... He was like looking through it and looking through, you know, WSU's history. And he was like, wow, like they have not advanced out of the quarterfinals like 
ever before. I think it was like one or one time, one or two times. And he's like, this place is a, really is a house of horrors. Like we, I've got to change it. That was like the turning point in his mind that he was like, I'm going to come back and we're going to get so good that the referees can't, you know, they can't take this. Uh, they're not going to be able to steal this one away from us because we're going to be so good that we're going to beat teams by so much that the refs is going to be out of their control. And, you know, sure enough, he was right. You know, Wichita State, he turned Wichita State into, you know, the power that it became and ended up with two conference championships in, in St. Louis and uh, still a lot of heartbreak. But, you know, I think he, he set out on a mission to, to accomplish and he, he did what he said he was going to do in that locker room. And uh, I thought that was a pretty cool story. So I'll have something on that too. There has been a lot of heartbreak. <laughs> I feel that. I, f- I felt that story as you, you described that to us. So, all right. Well, we'll be back with you next week. And as always, rate us five stars. <laughs>